Well, today's the fifth Sunday of the uh, month. This doesn't happen all that often, but we have all the kiddos with us. So a little round of applause for all the kiddos that are joining us today. If you're new or newer, usually uh, fifth grade and, and lower would, would leave and go to Treehouse after the songs of worship, but I'm excited to have you guys in the room, all right? My name is Greg Hanton. I'm one of the pastors here at the house. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to. Maybe we could grab a coffee sometime. We are in the back half of a series that's called The Church Called Tove. It's actually based off a book. The subtitle is Forming a Goodness Culture That Resists Abuses of Power and Promotes Healing. Tove is just a word that means good in the scriptures, and we're talking about it because churches are meant to be good, because all of us were created good from the beginning. When God created however you believe that happened, at the beginning, God looked at what he created and said, this is very good, and that still exists in us. The image of God is still a part of who we are, and so as we gather, as we become a family as a church, we are meant to be good. So far, we've discussed warning signs. We've discussed nurturing empathy, nurturing grace, being people first in our culture, and truth-telling last week with Pastor Jen. And today, keeping in mind that we have all the kids with us, I'm going to talk about how a church with a goodness culture nurtures justice. So let's jump right in. I'm going to go to Micah, chapter 6 in our Bibles. Uh, it, it goes Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. In the First Testament, or what people call the Old Testament, it goes Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. If you see any of those corners, you know you're in the right neighborhood. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to uh, have one. They're blue. They're out on the uh, bookshelf in the lobby. Just take one home with you. Uh, it is yours for free. And otherwise, you can download a Bible from any of the digital app stores. We have a tradition of giving the scriptures our full attention when they're read uh, during the sermon uh, each week. And so you can do that any number of ways. One way is to stand with me if you'd like. And if you'd like to do that now as you are able, I'll go ahead and read the scripture. Micah 6, verse 7 and 8. Micah 6, 7 and 8 says this. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Will he take delight in 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we offer our oldest sons for the wrong things we've done? Should we sacrifice our own children to pay for our sins? Now, this is all rhetorical. The answer is, of course not. Verse 8, the Lord has shown you what is good. He has told you what he requires of you. You must act with justice. You must love to show mercy. And you must be humble as you live in the sight of your God. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that we... We still have them, that they've persisted throughout the millennia, and I pray that whatever you have for us to learn today, I pray that it would stick, that it would become a part of the framework of our faith, that our faith would become stronger, and that we would become more like your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, so you can have a seat. All right, so most of us probably have something in mind when we hear the word justice. We have a feeling or an opinion, we think we know exactly what it means, or at least we're close, and depending on our background, our upbringing, our education, our age, gender, 
physical abilities, our economic status, culture, or ethnicity, we may have very different feelings about whether justice happens. Always, often, or ever at all. So the first thing we need is a common understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking about justice. When the Bible speaks of justice, there's a couple words that get used. Mishpat is one of them. It's a Hebrew word. It points to rendering a just decision in a court. Then there's sedagah. Sedagah is, is about a kind of justice that prioritizes honesty and community loyal. I'm going to do something that is just for my community. I'm going to be loyal to that community for the sake of justice. But then in the Bible, justice is also married to mercy. This is what Micah is doing when he's talking about all of these things together because they belong together. Justice and mercy belong together. We tend to think mercy is just holding back what God could do to us or what we could do to someone else. I was raised being told that, that mercy is God not giving us the punishment we deserve and grace is Him giving us the gift that we don't deserve. And so we think often that mercy is just not doling out a punishment if we could dole out a punishment. But mercy isn't just the action. Hear me. Mercy isn't just the action or what we do. Mercy is the motivation behind what we do. In Hebrew, the word for mercy is about a faithful, unfailing, steadfast, and loyal love. Mercy is love that is married to justice. St. Thomas Aquinas said, Justice and mercy are so united that the one ought to be mingled with the other. Justice without mercy is cruelty. Mercy without justice is disillusion. In other words, division. Dr. Cornell West said, Justice is what love looks like in public. Just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. In other words, the biblical image of justice is a faithful love that does the right thing at the right time so that we don't dissolve and so that we are held together. Justice expressed through love is often, if not always, what holds dramatically different people together in unity as one community. When Micah was writing these words, you must have mercy, you must have justice, you must walk humbly. It was around 750 years before the ministry of Jesus, and the people that were leading Israel at the time had so warped what they thought of God, the way that they thought they were supposed to follow God, that they willfully allowed the most vulnerable in their nation to be taken advantage of. Their women and children were mistreated, businesses were allowed to prosper from unjust practices, and the poor were systematically exploited. The rich got richer, the poor got poorer, while paying for the powerful to become richer still. Maybe that sounds just a little familiar. 
It's not all that different from what we experience today. When the richest 10% of Americans own almost 70% of all wealth, when the lower 50% of income earners own only 2.5% of all the available funds, 70%. When the average CEO makes 400 times the salary of the everyday worker, 400 times. When half the people that make our laws in the United States are millionaires. When billionaires can spend endless amounts of money to lobby for legislation and elect politicians that might favor their interests. When money opens doors and defines what is right, justice is on life support. And mercy goes missing. Today we might expect a biblical justice and mercy to be sparse because the U.S. government, as much as some want it to be, is not a theocracy. It is not a biblical monarchy. It is not run by a religion. But in Micah's day, there was no line between church and state. They were a religious monarchy. They couldn't excuse their injustices with explanations of capitalism and individual rights because their government was responsible for caring for the vulnerable, because their government was supposed to be following the laws of God. So what does that mean for us? It means that we cannot impose what Micah is saying on the U.S. government, but we can impose what Micah says on the church. Now that doesn't, also doesn't mean that churches shouldn't speak to the injustices in their country or elsewhere. That's not what it means at all. And hear this, please. What it absolutely means is that for a church to speak to the injustices they see in the world without also or first speaking to and caring for the injustices in the church, it is hypocritical and hurtful and is not real justice or mercy. Couldn't tell if that was a sneeze or a say it again. Yeah? What it absolutely means is this. For the church to speak to the injustices they see in the world without also or first speaking to and caring for the injustices that happen in the church whether it's by the church or just the things that are happening between people, the gaps that are between us. If the church does not address those things, it becomes hypocritical and hurtful and is not real justice to only speak outwardly. McKnight and Berenger that wrote the book give us some insight about what we should do. The first thing they say is to look to the parable of the good Samaritan found in Luke 10. Because... The Samaritan rejects the rigid rules of the religious. He embraces empathy. He moves in mercy. He cares for a wound that he didn't create and pays for healing he was not responsible for. In fact, he says, I will come back and pay any debt that has occurred 
while this person stays here and heals. Justice in a church looks like brothers and sisters communicating shortfalls and failures that exist even if they are uncomfortable and responding with mercy. Working to fill the gaps between us with mercy because justice married to mercy is what so often holds people that are so radically different together as one community. It is unjust to be privileged and to ignore the needs that are around us. This is how McKnight puts it. There's no law in our legal system that demands love. But Jesus does. There's no law that requires empathy and compassion, but Jesus does. There's no law that demands grace, but Jesus does. Jesus is calling us to behave in ways that measure up to and conform with his teachings, not the teachings of the world. So then McKnight and Behringer say that after we do what is just, after we listen, after we communicate, after we share, after we have mercy among us, that we have to be willing to press on after the fallout. What does that mean? The very first year that we were at church, Christmas of 2014, that first year we didn't do foster gifts. So we've done, this, this Christmas will be the 10th time that we do foster gifts for DCFS kids that are um, experiencing foster care right now. That very first year we did boxes. There's, there's an international missions company that, that sends boxes to parts of the world and they tell you what to put in it. And at the time, the president of that company uh, was saying some very xenophobic, racist things in the public. And there was someone that had been attending the church that very first year that they were very excited about doing that. And, and so we did it. The next year was kind of then they started saying those things, not the person at the church, but, but the person that was in charge of the ministry. So it got around and I said, hey, I think maybe we're going to go a different direction this year. I think we're going to be connecting with the local foster system so that the things that we're doing are right here local. And, and they kind of pushed a little. And I said, honestly, it's also because the, the person that's, in charge of that is publicly saying things that, that are racist, that are xenophobic. And, and I, I don't know that I want us to be directly connected to that. And so they said, okay. And um, a week later, um, they, the husband and wife asked me if I would have coffee with them. And so I did. And the, the husband showed up. And I sat down with the husband. And I said, oh, where's so-and-so? And they would go, well... Just wanted to let you know we're, we're, we're leaving the church. You hurt my wife's feelings. And I said, oh, how? Well, because we're not going to do what you said about so-and-so, and we're not going to do. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not at all what, what I intended. It's not at all. didn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. There's been times. That was just the beginning. If you are my friend on Facebook... You can only imagine how many friends and people that I have lost over the years because of things that I believed were just, that needed to be said or done, that then were not received in the way that they were meant. I have responsibility for how I say things, 
100, 100%. But the reality is, is that when a church does what they believe is just, we should not pretend that there will not be people that leave in the wake of doing what you think is just. Does not mean that we should celebrate that. I, I could weep right now for all the people that I've lost. I want them all. I want them all. But I also believe in doing what is right at the right time. And sometimes that comes with fallout. Sometimes that comes with loss. As a church, that will also be true for you as an individual. If you do what is just, if you offer mercy to someone that someone else does not think deserves it, you will lose people. There's no other way to say it. There's no positive spin. But at the end of it, there will be times to lament, to be sad, to mourn the loss of friends. That's part of being just. The other side of being just is that there will be stories that are positive, that come from having acted with justice, that come from having acted with mercy, that come from doing the right thing at the right time. I could stand here and tell you a bunch of them, but I want you to think about the ones that you have. What story do you have of having acted with justice and mercy and seeing what it caused in your life and in someone else's? Because I know that not all of you spend your life thinking of stories and writing sermons and immediately just going, oh, this is what that would be. What I want is I want you to have an opportunity to have a story. So I want to tell you some ways that you can do that. First thing is that every week in this building on Thursdays, the middle of this building is called Closet to Closet. They serve not only homeless that need clothes, but it started as a ministry that gave clothing to children that were experiencing foster care. And it started that way because, Allie, they were adopting twin daughters that had been in the foster system. And one day, as one of the daughters was getting new clothes, they'd grown out of the clothes that they had, she just asked, Mom, hey, Allie, Mom, can, can I give these clothes to another kid that's in foster right now? When I was in foster, I would have killed for clothes like this. And what happened was she said, yeah. And they collected those clothes, and they, they figured out how to start giving it away. And then suddenly they, they had a storage unit that were full of clothes, and then suddenly they had a room in the Lutheran church that they attend, and suddenly they had five storage units, and then suddenly they needed their own space, and they still have storage units full of clothing because they are really, honestly, struggling to keep up with the need that started because one kid wanted to act justly for someone that had been where she was. You can serve on a Thursday night. 
You can come and you can pack packages and you can put together outfits and you can and you can fill up boxes or you can do whatever they ask you to do knowing that you are acting justly and providing mercy to somebody that needs it here in the Greenbush neighborhood. You know, I've started going over and helping unload groceries on certain days at the, at the uh, pantry at the Rock Island Township over on 7th. Listen, we're not going to have a pantry ministry the way we had before. We had a pantry ministry before at the school where we organized it. We are now asking you of your own accord to say that because you are part of this church that you are going to go and serve at that pantry. Because the people that come from that, to that pantry are from half of our city. South Rock Island Township has one as well, but this one serves our neighborhood and serves half of Rock Island. And they can come there any day of the week, Monday through Friday between 9 and 11, and you can be there too. You can help them fill up their box with, with food that they need. You can help carry that box to their car. You can learn their name, and then you can have a story of justice and mercy, of how you filled the gap, how you made someone that felt vulnerable coming to ask for food feel like they were your equal because you are, and they should not feel less than. The township also has every weekday a meal site at 5.30. You can go volunteer and serve in the meal site. The meal site is also for the people that live in half of Rock Island. Half of the population of Rock Island is able to go there and have a meal if they need it. You can serve closet to closet. You can serve the pantry in the township any day of the week, 9 to 11. You can serve the meal site any day of the week at 5.30. Go serve people. Develop stories of justice and mercy so that the next time the Holy Spirit or a pastor behind a pulpit says, hey, do you have a story of justice? You think of that guy that you carried a box for. You think of that single mother that you helped fill her box full of clothes. You think of the person that you served food on a Wednesday night. You think of the children that you know are going to be served by the plethora upon plethora of clothing that occupies the middle of this building. But I also wanted to give you a way to have a story today that before you leave that you could have this story. No, I'm not going to give you one of mine. <laughs> this past week, Andy Boswell made me aware he has a friend that is connected to Really, it's not, it's not a ministry because it's not a, a church thing, but it, what they do is they write Christmas cards for women that have been abused that are also incarcerated right now. And a large percentage of people that are in jail have trauma or abuse at some point in their life. 97% of people that are in jail or prison have experienced trauma in their life. 56% of men and 54% of women have experienced physical abuse in their life. If they're in, in jail or prison, you can assume that at least half of them were abused in their life. And then something like 20-25% of women that are in prison or jail have been abused 
in another physical nature. I won't say out loud because there's children in the room. This is an opportunity for us to write them a Christmas card and just give them a tiniest little ray of hope. Andy, being the overachiever that he is, he got 50 cards. Just, just in faith going, I'm going to get all these things filled out. And we have about 40 of them today because he's had other friends fill out about 10 of those. And after service, what I want you to do is, if you're willing to, come up and grab one. There's pens here. There's going to be instructions on the screen about things that you should not say. These are not religious cards. One of these might go to a Hindu or a Muslim. And so they're not, they're not like, hey, Jesus is with you in the moment. These are just encouraging cards for somebody that just needs the tiniest ray of justice and mercy in a moment that they probably never planned to be in. So right now I want you to sit where you're at and decide right now whether you'll come up after service and fill out one of these cards. Because I don't know how many people are in the room right now, but we got 40 of them. So there's 40 women that just need to be told something positive. Amen? And then you can have the tiniest story of having acted with justice and mercy. And it does not let you off the hook for continuing to act with justice and mercy. Because I mean it. I'm never going to shut up about you going over to that pantry or that meal site or closet to closet. You're going to keep hearing it. But let's do this today, okay? We, as a church, want to be good. And that goodness, as we care about the things that need to happen within our own walls will turn into and become the kind of justice and mercy that finds its way out into our city. It will not be possible to be a healthy church and to not have an impact on the city that you are in because that's the way it's supposed to work. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in us today. I thank you that all these kids are with us in this room today. I pray that they hear that churches, that Christians should be people of mercy, people of biblical justice, that they are fully equal, that they belong, that they are worthy. While we are a church that exists to call prodigals home, to adopt the spiritually homeless, I pray that by your spirit, you would help them never feel like they are either. That they would always feel like they are daughters and sons. And that they are family. In the name of Jesus. Amen.